0: Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk where you can find many more videos of interest to investors.
1: Good morning, everyone, and a happy new year to you all. Thank you for joining our half year results webinar today. I'm going to start with an overview of the the period we're reporting to 30 October. I'll then hand over to Kate, who's going to obviously go through the financial results. And then I want to then talk about um, the drivers for our continued accelerating growth. And then we'll pick up questions after that. So just to start with some of the overview, just a reminder that we actually corporatized what is a traditional law firm partnership model that still exists today as, as being the model of law We changed from that coming up a decade ago when we first acquired Knights in June 2012. And that's really been what created the platform almost 10 years ago. It's meant that we've been able to build a culture uh, that has brought a business together and moved away from silo uh, teams or offices competing with each other. And it's a really important element of our culture. We focus on the culture every single day. And this allows us then to work together across different experience levels, across different offices, to produce results which have always focused on profit and cash. We've always focused on those two things. We've brought an investor focus uh, to the the business of law by separating uh, the, the lawyers away from ownership and management. And that's what we did back in June 12. So our lawyers have always been able to concentrate on lawyering or professionals concentrate on doing the professional services they do because we have non-lawyers too. And the owners and managers invest in the business and run the business. And that's that's the real core essence uh, of of what of, of giving us the opportunity to do what we're showing the results of today. So in this period, we've shown how we've been able to grow the revenues in what's been a challenging period in and out of lockdowns and the disruption that we've been having over the last 18 months. And I think to grow the revenues and the way Kate's going to go through, I think has been an excellent result, but always focusing on that profit and cash. And we've been able to bring the business together over the years and continue to then focus on the regions. And I think it's very interesting to see uh, our regional opportunities, which I think will thrive even more now in what we've just experienced over the last almost two years with COVID. What I mean there is I think people now And professionals definitely are thinking about work-life balance, thinking of commute time, thinking of uh, do they want to go into, say, the city of London? Uh, And I think the regions with clients, too, accessing professionals who've been working from home, I think, has made the whole thing a little bit more interesting and has brought a lot to be considered. And I think this will will only help our regional strategy, uh, both in, in the number of people that we can bring into our business and also the clients that we can act for. The addressable market we have is $3 billion if we include Scotland in it, and I'll talk after Kate's gone through the financial results more about how we're going to accelerate our growth and take a bigger market share of this regional world that we're in. So if I just look at the next slide here of, of what we are today, we're now in 17 locations. We've got the mix of the business there. It's a very diverse mix of business, and it's very um, day-to-day supportive of of regional clients we're driving this business for growth but also very focused on regional clients who want to go to the best professional service business that's nearest to them if you like the magic circle of the regions is, is what we're really driving for with the corporate client base that that we're working for we've given some examples of the clients there on the slide but it's local professionals working for local quality businesses of all shapes and sizes. It's very diverse and it's very resilient to the the highs and lows of the economy. I don't think we ride the wave that I think's been going on the last couple of years. Certainly the city of London law and big, big law firms have been having a great time of it of late. And we, too, benefit from some of that, but I don't think we see the big wave of that, but we don't see the big downturn on any economic cyclical downturn that's made ahead of us. We're, we're very resilient and we're very repetitive in the way we go about business. Uh, we always have been, and I think we always will be, in this regional commercial environment that we operate in. Just showing the, the sort of track record, we were 35 million before we came to market in June eight our results to April 18. And you can see there, I think, the stellar growth that we've continued uh, from listing. I think listing's really worked. It's enabled us to uh, scale the business. I think it's enabled us to grow and become recognised now as a, uh, with a national presence, a national brand. And I think listing's really given us that. I think these, these results show, show it. Uh, but also always focused on that profit uh, margin and the cash generation uh, as well as the, rele- the resilience uh, of our regional business model. So I'll hand over to Kate to go through some financial results. Thanks, Kate.
2: Thanks, David. Um, so on slide seven, looking at the results for the urges as a bit of a highlight, As we've talked about before, we've always grown this business, and as David's mentioned, we've grown it over the last 10 years since we did the first acquisition. We've grown it to concentrate on profitability and cash generation, and that's been complemented by good, strong growth as well. So really pleased with the results for the half year. Again, delivering strong revenue growth of 29%, strong increase in our PBT growth of 26%. um, And again, as you can see, that excellent cash conversion of 105% for the period. The way that we get such cash conversion is because we've got a continued focus on management of our lockup and our lockup, which I'll talk about in a bit more detail a bit later on, but that's the amount of time essentially that it takes us to convert units of time being completed on the job to cash in the bank. And you can see that we've achieved 99 days at the period end, which is made up of 33 debtor days and 66 whip days. And I'll talk about that and how it's impacted by acquisitions further on. And that really strong cash conversion has helped us generate a net debt position at the period end of 23.3 million, which Compared to the year-end position of 21.1 million, is an increase of um, just over two million. But that's after we've paid acquisition and consideration-related costs of seven million pounds. So I'm really pleased with where we've ended up there. Over onto the next slide, we'll talk about a little bit of a breakdown of those financial results there. So as you can see, we've delivered revenue of 59 million for the year. Of that, 9.1 million came from acquisitions that were completed during FY. 21. so the four acquisitions that we completed there have generated £9.1 million worth of revenue during the period. Really pleased with how they've integrated. That performance is slightly ahead of of where we expected it to be for the first half year, showing how well they've integrated into the business in such a short period of time. acquisition wise it's going really well organic growth we've delivered organic growth of circa nine percent in the half year which represents around about 4.4 million pounds worth of revenue pleased with that organic growth um it was sort of as david's talked about we've always generated and looked at our business in terms of profitability so we have done a, a, a small amount of restructuring to sort of um, look at some non-profitable um, revenue lines in there and so still generating organic growth of 9% is good and it's where we want to be. As to how we've generated that organic growth it's essentially come from us looking at, continually looking at our pricing. There's a rate increase that we put in as, as of the 1st of May um, as we've talked about in the past. That takes a little while for it to come through. It does. We don't change all of our pricing immediately but during the latter half of this half year that's come through and we'll expect to see that coming through further Um, in the future and also um, more importantly a continued focus on pricing it's something we've always done and recovery of our time and it's something we've definitely been doing in earnest in this year in this second half year um, definitely so making sure that we cover more of the time um, that we spend on the job and there's less leakage in the job um, effectively Um, and that focus on pricing less leakage has helped to generate an improvement in our gross margin you can see there our gross margin has increased to 48% from 46% in the prior year. And that's essentially us keeping tight control of our costs and getting more revenue out of slightly fewer fees. Not by them necessarily working harder, but by making sure, as I've talked about, that there's less leakage and we're getting more of that time. So that's really good, really pleased with that improvement in gross margin that we've managed in this time. We then look at the other significant elements of the operational account, The operational staff costs. The operational staff costs have gone up slightly in the same period last year. They at eleven point four percent this year compared to ten point five percent last year. But that's reflecting the investment that we've done to give ourselves a sustainable base. you we call at the during the second half of FY twenty one. We in, invested in client service directors and some operational support staff to the senior operational support staff that's the full um yeah, effect of their costs coming through now you can see in the first half of this year that weren't there last year so that investment is important to us um, to make sure that we've got that sustainable base but we do see that we've got a good level of client service directors we will continue to invest in there but we see that starting to leverage as we grow the top top line further um, if we look at staff costs overall as a percentage of turnover our staff costs overall have actually declined in the period compared to last year. They're at 63.4% this year compared to 64% last year, which is really good. Really pleased with that. And I think that demonstrates hopefully a question that I'm sure many people will have as to how we're being affected by salary inflation that you read about happening in um, London, in the city of London. We're managing that well, and we're not seeing any negative impact of that on the business looking at the other operational costs and an awful lot of those are saved really in line with where we'd expect them to be with the level of revenue the one point to pick out is the depreciation and um, finance cost relating to IFRS 16 that's in relation to property costs and IFRS 16 now those property leases are recognised through depreciation and finance costs we did invest in property costs in our property portfolio during the latter half of the financial year to April 20, and a little bit during um, this, finan- this um, financial year as well. We've invested in some really quality properties in Birmingham, Maystone, Leeds, Nottingham, York, um, and you can see the cost of those coming through. We do see property as being a really important part of our business, so having grade A, good quality um premises for people to come back into once we can actually get back into offices we see it really as part of our um, working as one team our collaborative culture for people to be in offices and we did see during the periods from to sort of september through to um, early december when people were more in offices that people were really enjoying being in offices and there's a real appetite to get into offices and work as a team again so we see that as being important for our culture and also it's good to offer good grade A quality places for recruiting people into. And we do have capacity in some of those core premises now in sort of the big cities in Birmingham. And in most of our offices, we do have some spare capacity so that we will look to leverage those costs further in the future as we recruit into those offices and grow the revenue in those offices. Putting all of that together, we're pleased with where the PVT margin has come out. For the half year, we're 12.6% compared to 13% last year. But given that investment that we did in the operational support and the property during the second half of last year, please report that margin. Just looking generally at sort of the margin and sort of where we expect it to get to for a full year, you will recall, or may not, but there is always the second half waiting um, in terms of revenue, um, which generates and drops down through to our PBT margin. Our revenue... Um, is always, and it was last year, and we expect it to be this year again, roughly 45, 55 split in revenue. The reason being quite simply is during the first half of the year generally hit harder by holidays, and our revenue is obviously a function of how much time People are working, and there's also client demand as well in terms of client year ends for December, March, and April, which fall in the second half of the year, which always means we have a slightly higher second half waiting in terms of revenue than we do in the first half of the year. We were hit, I think, even slightly harder in the half year to December to October 21 by holidays because everybody had an awful lot of accrued holiday at the end of April, which as I'm sure um, happened across many industries, people took quite a bit of that holiday during um, July and August when they could actually get away. Um, so given that half weight and very happy with the sort of 45, 55 split of revenue for us, which would take us to where the consensus figures are for the year. And that then generates a higher PBT margin in the second half of the year. Our costs are also relatively stable um, across the year, but with that split of revenue, last year we generated of PBT margin in the second half of the year, and we're looking to do just over 22% in the second half this year, which would take us to our PBT margin of circa 18%, which is where consensus is at. So that's the reason why we're comfortable, given our historic experience as to where we'll get to for the PBT margin for the year as a whole. Going on to the next slide, just very briefly, this summarises PBT Bridge from mainly summarising the points that I've talked about before. The one point I will pick up on there is just the acquisition income. So the profits that has come from the acquisitions that we did in FY21. You'll see there we've put estimated that's around about a £1 million, which is about an 11% PBT margin based on the 9 million pounds worth of revenue that's about where we'd expect it to be this year those acquisitions came in right at the end of last year or some of them actually didn't come onto our systems until June. The QBOS acquisitions came onto our system in June this year. And so all of those cost savings have now been made. We've done the initial restructuring, which has been made. We've not had the full benefit of it for the full half year. And then the rest of the synergy savings that we expect to get from aligning all of our contracts and bringing everything together, we will make over the next six to 12 months, which will increase those margins from the circa 11% that they're making now to the 18% in line with the rest of the business. As a board and a management team, the key focus for us has always been profitability and cash conversion. And this table here just summarises really those key KPIs that we'll look at the gross margin. You can see the pleasing trend in that. The red line shows the full year figures and the blue line is showing the half year trends over the past three years Um, so pleased with that improvement in gross margin and underlying PBT again is is in the sort of trajectory that we want it to do and happy with where we expect it to be and again we've delivered very strong cash conversion so two key focuses um, for the business and happy with where those KPIs are showing us. Over onto the next slide now, and I'll just pick out three salient points really on the balance sheet. If we compare the balance sheet at April 21 to the balance sheet at October 21, it's very similar. A couple of points just to pick up movements from October 20 and things to discuss. The increase in right of use assets, those are reflecting the leases that we've signed or new premises or leases that we've acquired uh, as part of the acquisitions that we 've done they 're now capitalized on the balance sheet, and that talks about the investment property that I talked to in relation to the property expense in the p and l. The next point there is net debt. You can see that net debt has um, increased from 21 to 23 million, just over, which is very pleasing in terms of it, our leverage. Our leverage there, if we're looking at the consensus EBITDA for the year, is 0.7 times. Really pleasing position for us to be in. Pleased with where that's come through. And that's despite having paid circa 7 million in terms of acquisition costs. We did during the uh, expand our RCF facility to give us a 60 million facility in total. So you can see that there, that gives us over £36 million worth of headroom going forward, which we will use to invest and grow the business. I'll pick up on that a little later. The only other unusual point, just to pick up on the balance sheet there, is the deferred tax. As you'll you'll know, the deferred tax rate has been increased to 25% as of April 23. That was substantially enacted in May 21. And therefore, we have to then now restate our deferred tax liability to reflect that increase in rate. And that's... um, resulted in an increase of approximately one and a half million in the deferred tax liability in the balance sheet. So talking now about our working capital and and how we manage that and how we generate our strong cash conversion just to go sort of back to sort of basics our working capital we look at as being our debtor days plus our whip days and it's effectively the amount of time it takes for when the unit of time is spent on a matter to when we get the cash in the bank we're generating now you can see the trajectory at the half year points over the past five years and sort of we, we generally are 99 days as well within where we'd expect to be we target for the business as a whole around 90 days which would be 30 days data days and 60 whip days generally the position is always better at year end than it is at half year but pleased with where we are at half year um and the level that we're working at 99 days at the half year is still considerably better than the industry average which is around about 130 days um and just to give an example of what sort of other businesses are out. we've put that down there on the right-hand side of the slide. The lockup in the acquisitions that we've done over the past couple of years, and you can see that they're considerably higher than what we're operating at now. And what we do with each of those acquisitions is we work with them to bring their lockup down closer in line with what our standard target is of circa 90 days. And you can see how we've achieved that. As some. some take a little longer than others. It depends a little bit on the makeup of their work in progress and what they've got within their balance sheet. The debtors are quite easy to do because that's something that's been invoiced and we can chase that sometimes if we've got agreements set up with clients that will mean we'll only bill on completion it takes a little while for those to unravel and so that you'll see differences in achievement but if we go back to the acquisitions that we did almost two years ago now in terms of egl and ert you can see they were 140 days when we acquired them and they're 87 days at the end of October. In terms of when we do look at working capital, just to be clear, we do exclude the acquisitions that we did in the prior year. So the acquisitions from OTB evening down are excluded from there. But now we have included the acquisitions that we did in FY20 are included within that 99 days. So they actually average out now to around about 106 days. So they've had a slight negative impact on our um, lock up at the end of um, April, but you can see they're all coming down and we'd expect those over the next six to 12 months to come down further in line with where we want to be. So continue focus on our working capital. It's something we've done for 10 years. We're really proud of where it is. Um, and you can see that demonstrates um, what we're doing and generates our strong cash conversion. Over onto the next slide, net Debt Bridge really there, which is just picking up on the key elements that we've talked about. And as we've said in the past, pleased with where we've ended up at six, In line with where we expected to be from a board and internal purposes, 23.3 million after spending circa 7 million on the deferred consideration and acquisition costs um, for the acquisitions that we've done. Um, and now then just looking at um, our capital allocation, our approach for the business as a whole. As we've talked about, we're, we're very cash generative. We've generated 105% during the period. We're always sort of looking to do sort of circa 70, 80% plus, And that's very good. And that means we're a highly cash generative business. And so there's an awful lot of business being generated from our core business as a whole. What we then do with that cash allocation and the RCF facility that we have available is we then will look to invest it in our growth. So we'll invest organically. Every time we're growing organically, if we're recruiting individuals, um, that takes money to invest because those individuals come in, but they're not, we obviously pay their salary from day one, but they're not generating the revenue at the level we would expect to from day one. So each individual that comes in takes circa six to nine months worth of investment in there. So, but we've got plenty of cash to available to do that. And then selective acquisitions. We're acquisitive, we'll do acquisitions and David will talk later on about sort of our sort of future um prospects for acquisitions um, and sort of in terms of what capability we have to do those acquisitions. If I look at um, the facility that we have available and take into account the um, consideration that is is due on those that we're already committed to um, and looking at the the dividend policy, which I'll touch on later, um, taking all that into account and then taking into account the basis that effectively we generally pay around about one times revenue for the businesses, paying a third cash up front. On the facilities that we have available to, to date without future cash generation, we've got av- availability to do acquisitions of circa 50 to £60 million pounds worth of revenue currently. So lots of was to go forward and do acquisitions. And then the dividend there, because of the headroom that we've got, the cash headroom we've got, and because of how well we're doing, we've invested. We've Reinstated the dividend policy at 20% of profit after tax, which is the rate that we've done it in the past. That equates to around around 1.2 million pounds worth of cash out, and that leaves us still with plenty of cash to go forward um, and invest in the growth, which David is going to talk about next. Over to you, David.
1: Okay, thanks, Kate. So the, there's um, two main drivers of the growth, and that's organic growth and the acquisition growth. I'm going to talk about also what we've done and what we're gonna carry on doing to scale the operation, to facilitate and manage the growth, particularly from a cultural integration perspective, which is absolutely crucial to building what we call a one business community. So first of all, I'm looking to grow organically. We've got a very sticky client base. It's based upon long-standing relationships with with our people, and it is very sticky when we look at this uh, all the time to see how we're trading with clients, and it's an incredibly sticky client base that we now feel that we've got much more breadth and depth and a much more national presence, that we are seeing some good early signs of them doing more for clients, so cross-selling and doing more for that client base. Clients like McDonald's were doing more for Hanson, uh, Rolls-Royce. These are long-standing clients and now we can start to grow organically. On the back of those larger clients, now we're a larger business. It, it, it's pretty uh, obvious in some ways, but it needs then focus and letting the clients know what our capabilities are so we can hopefully expand on that trusted relationship. If you look at winning new clients from scratch to The fastest way to do that is to recruit the people with the relationships. Again, in the regions, it's much more around clients, corporate clients, having relationships with professionals and with partners. And so the recruitment is important uh, and and will remain a priority to us every day. I think what's important to mention about recruitment, and it's very similar when we look at acquisitions, is what's happening to the partnership model. Because I think it is now unravelling and i think the next generation of people coming into the legal profession are not as positive about going to a bank and borrowing say two hundred and fifty thousand pounds to pay to a retiring partner so the appetite from the next generation say the 35 to 40 year old partners and partners in their 40s the appetite is diminished substantially over the last decade and i think will continue to diminish over the next decade Uh, and therefore the succession to partners, isn't there? I'm going to get onto that in respect of acquiring businesses from those partnership groups, but also they don't want to stay in that model, so therefore we can hire them. And I would say that still the biggest driver that pushes people to our model is that they don't have to take financial risk of borrowing £250,000 to earn more income. We can pay them the more income from our model. And then we've got other things like share options also incentivise and reward and they don't have to borrow any money. And they like that. They like the fact they can earn the same or more, but they don't have to borrow money. So it's a big push to this this unique corporate model that's now coming up 10 years old. And they now identify, and they're much more comfortable with it now we've been around for a lot longer. And definitely since listing, they've become more aware of it. So a big push for us to be able to continue to recruit at the levels we have uh, is that financial risk that they don't want to take and they don't have to take with us. We certainly had a fantastic time hiring if you go back to last summer because we got going quickly. Whilst COVID was still very light, we pushed a button on recruitment at the beginning of June last year. and We had a great opportunity to hire, which we took advantage of because m- most of the firms were not hiring. That's changed, obviously, in the period of reporting. And currently today, it's a much more competitive environment to hire. So I'm delighted that we're still carrying on the same level of hiring. And I think the biggest reason that we're able to carry on and the same level in this competitive environment as when it wasn't competitive over a year ago is because of the model and the uniqueness of it and the the advantage it gives to people without having to take that financial risk. And this is really important to our organic growth. Another limb of the organic growth is the pricing, but Kate's talked about that, but we continue to work hard every week now on pricing to bring the business together and to mitigate the leakage of our time so that we capture it in, in revenues. But that recruitment of people remains a very important feature of the organic growth. Pricing, I've touched on, I'm going to move on from that because I think we've touched on that, but we can pick up on any questions there. Probably one question that I think we do get asked is, you know, was that a one-off pricing hike? No, it isn't. This is going to be continuing. We're certainly going to look at pricing as we get to the year end and from 1 May we will definitely be uh, we're getting ready now to look at that price increase so we can implement it as quick as we can into the full year to get as much of the full year effect of that price increase as we can from 1 May coming up. Just one example of expanding the services that we're, we're pretty excited about, and that's the debt advisory team that we've hired. We've hired a uh, chapter, Tony Dean, who's a senior uh, banking professional. He came to us from Santander, it was HSBC in Santander, very well known in the Manchester community, real senior hire for us this Um, and has brought a team with him, working also with another senior banking lawyer that joined us a year ago, Jonathan Edwards. And the two of them have now already, I think, got a a fabulous reputation, particularly the Northwest. But they've already, Tony's been across all our office network in in the autumn period. He managed to cover in November, December, most of our offices to really explain to people, the relationship holders, what we can do. And that is basically help the corporates look at their balance sheet and their leverage position and their debt facilities. Uh, Obviously, interest rates now are on the up. Uh, Refinancing, therefore, is going to become more relevant. There's still COVID loans to be refinanced. So there's a big demand for this, we believe, from our uh, client base, which is thousands of company clients that we can now uh, hopefully leverage with this new uh, uh, debt advisor service. So it's pretty unique when you put banking expertise with, with lawyer expertise. So that's something new that started first November and has already got off to a really solid start, actually, in November, December, with instructions coming in, which was a, ahead of our expectation. I'll move on to acquisitions. And again, I'll go back to the point about the partnership model and how that's changing with the appetite from the next generation uh, diminishing. And this means that the succession for equity partnership groups is diminishing. And so when they come to get their capital out, their capital account and current account, then they're more worried about that today. And this is driving, I think, already some of those acquisitions we've made. We've done 15 since we listed. We did four before listing. So we've done 19 in total. But those 15 in the last three and a half years, there's been two or three of those that have been definitely fueled by this concern that the sellers, the equity partners had for who's going to take the business on after them. So I think that will continue over the next few years and over the next decade. I think that will definitely fuel M&A and push businesses towards nights in the regions. The driver and the number one priority for us with with acquisitions is cultural fit. That leads us always to where we go next. And I'll go on to an example of uh, the most recent one that I think is a fabulous example of cultural fit, but it's also an example of what I think is going to start to develop. It's early days, this, but this is law firms contacting us. And this business, Archers Law, based in Teesside, called us. We didn't approach them. And we've seen this a little bit, and I think this is going to develop over the next year or two or three of the medium term. I think we'll see firms approach us for the succession issue I've mentioned. But here it was also much driven as equally if not more by the fact that this business had sort of reached a glass ceiling of four million revenue in teesside and it saw great commercial opportunities for itself in teesside Uh, but it couldn't it couldn't exploit them and they knew as the freeport status was was granted um, a year ago almost in march last year all the inward investment that's coming into the area they wanted to have a piece of that they wanted to be um, you know very much part of the action in, in teesside so quite a modest acquisition for us at four million revenue. Um, not an obvious area, T-side, but when you start to uh, scratch under the surface, you see that this has got a lot going on, and this is much more exciting than, than I think the scale of it. But quite interesting that uh, the driver to us was so uh, that that partnership which is predominantly quite young partners in their early 40s, want to take their business and their careers to another level and they know they can do it with us. And the cultural fit is incredible with this acquisition already. They've only been part of our group for just over a month and it feels like they're, they're part of the family already. So uh, we're really excited about that. But just an example of, I think, what could happen going forward with partnerships and law firms approaching us to know that knowing that the partnership model is outdated knowing that they can't go any further and knowing that their careers will blossom if they can get involved with the group, with the uh, resources and support that we can give them. As I've mentioned, through the organic growth and through the uh, acquisitive growth, it is vital that we have this group now that we've built over the period since we've listed. And we've currently got eight clients as directors. And I've just summarised at the bottom there their their role. Their number one role is is to lead the culture and integrate people into our culture they generally have two or three offices each, and they're there as the, as the cultural leader for those offices and those groups. They mentor the partners, they, they take responsibility for delivering the financial management results and that uh, excellent cash generation, which we've focused on for a decade now. Uh, and also to grow that business organically, leverage the client base, put the resource, the national resource, in front of the larger client opportunities and to as well lead on the recruitment and occasionally find acquisition opportunities too. So I work closely with this group, uh, talk to them most days, we have a meeting every week, and this is how we're, we're managing to do this and mitigate dilution of culture. It was a big question I suddenly had when we were sort of thinking of, growing at this rate and we're coming to market, how are, we going to, how are we going to keep the culture? And I think we've delivered a fantastic result to man, maintain our cultural integration and uh, the culture of Knights nice is alive and well because this group are doing such a phenomenal job. So in summary, we, I think we've shown in this period that our recruitment has remained just as strong as it did a year ago, even though the market is much more competitive. Kate's as well highlighted that we don't feel that salary pressure There are elements of it. I'm not saying we're totally immune. I think around the newly qualified level, I think we'll feel a little bit of pressure. But overall, and particularly our partnership group, they're very happy. They like the model. They like the fact they haven't got financial risk or business responsibility. They like the fact they can get on with their client work and do what they enjoy best. And we've got a very happy ship, a very stable ship, um, and that will then attract more people, as I've mentioned, on the recruitment. We have got now a growing pipeline of opportunities i think it's been stop start on acquisitions for us over this last year or so because of, of lockdown in and out i think we're still in a virtual lockdown with working from home i hope now as we hopefully come now out of covid and we get back into a stable working from office environment i hope that will then uh, put some more momentum into the pipeline of firms that we know that some we like we want to get to know them more and we want to carry on uh, expanding our geographical footprint through acquisition uh, for sure. I was pretty excited about when we did this in 2012. I could feel from my experiences of 16 years in the law until '04, that there was now an opportunity. To be to really do things differently. And I think our model now is is pretty clearly showing itself to be uh, an attractive model that's going to be resilient and and a a model for the future for people to be part of. I was very excited when we came to market to really accelerate the growth. And I think we've shown what that's done. It's worked tremendously uh, being listed. has absolutely done everything and more that I could have hoped for. But if you ask me today in 2022, I'm even more excited than I was in 12 or 18 about our opportunities ahead. I think we've got the model, we've got the platform, uh, it's working, it's very resilient no matter what the economy is doing. And I think we've got an amazing opportunity now to really make the regions our own in respect of uh, commercial, legal and professional services uh, for the corporate client base. that's, That's certainly how I feel about things today. So we'll end it there and take questions if we may.
0: And we have a few questions submitted by Andrew Sims at Arden Partners. Can you put the organic growth of 9% in the context of the comparison in half one twenty one, where COVID affected the performance of the business?
1: Kate, do you want to do that?
0: Yeah, that's fine. Um, I I think sort of if
2: we look at where we are in terms of um, the half last year, we we did do, as I talked about, we did some some restructuring in in that period and we sort of looked at taking out Um, some non-profitable elements but when we look at it we're not always comparing like with like because we do acquisitions and those acquisitions come in for the first year so comparing last year's um, organic growth to this is slightly different we haven't done a two-year comparable because we integrate businesses so the acquisitions that we did in FY20 which are now within our organic growth but weren't last year and we're not comparing apples with apples but we're pleased with where where, where we've ended up I think last year we were hit hit quite hard but we, we did some restructuring in order to manage that and maintain our profitability which we we're pleased with and pleased with how we came at so we're building from a solid base this year so we're pleased with to generate that and as we've talked about as well our focus has been actually on profitability and maintain, making sure that we maintain that profitability so although organic growth is important to us and it's something we strive for and we strive for sort of a strong organic growth that's not at the expense of us having profitable good quality revenue going forward.
0: Thank you, Kate. Um, And Andrew goes on to ask a question which you've you've touched on anyway, regarding the restructuring, can you provide a bit more colour around the cultural misalignment? And following from this, as you grow and acquire, how do you view the management structure of the business and any need to adapt as you scale? I think when, when we
1: talk about restructuring there we're talking about sort of certain elements, pockets, small pockets of revenue, which are not very profitable or don't fit the sort of model of what we're doing for quality commercial work with, with quality corporate clients. Um, so we come across those from time to time. We, we always have. Uh, in this period, we've, we've dealt with those. We could have got organic growth to be in the sort of low teens, I'm absolutely sure, had we not dealt with those pockets of revenue, but we're much more focused on the quality of the revenue. Um, as far as uh, how do we deal with the management uh, on acquisition, if that's where the questions are aiming then it's pretty straightforward we the partnerships group, groups that we talk to and acquire um, want to in the main get back to what they would what they love invest in that's client work and they want to get away from things like money laundering and compliance and it and hr issues and cash flow and all the things of business which they, they don't really enjoy so the majority of the partnership wants to get back to just doing client work without the interruption of having to deal with all the admin of those things that we do for them Occasionally, or quite often, there's a single partner, a managing partner that may retire as part of the sale process because they don't want to go back to client work and fearing or that's not what they were doing. So if there's a restructure, it's the managing partner retire and all the other partners then carry on with what they're doing without the interruption of having all those partnership meetings, all the fearingers carry on we, we know there's going to be churn in a fee and group there always is an acquisition it's a disruptive thing and we always plan for that 20 up to 20 percent of revenue churn in part of the acquisition model and then the back office gets restructured uh, but the restructuring Kate was talking about there from an organic growth perspective and revenue perspective was around non-profitable uh, or poor, poorer quality elements of revenue which we have sometimes and we don't have other times that depends on uh, the acquisition and and what's in the mix
0: I'm going to move on to Robert Plant from Panma.
1: Morning, David and Kate. When we spoke last, David, you seemed a bit more relaxed about remote working. You said perhaps up to 40% remote working. What was your experience for the brief time that people were back in the office and what do you think will happen post the return to work? Thanks. Um, so yeah we, we, we had a return to work on first October. Um we sort of tried a soft return on first September, sort of back to school, but really from first October said uh, at least 60% of your time in offices was what we what we what we asked for. Um I think we, we didn't get there straight away. Uh it took a bit of time through October, November. I think as we were going into November, I think there was momentum building towards that 60% level where, you know we, we see this and we, we know what's going on. And uh we weren't gonna sort of it's a sensitive area this at the moment, Robin, I'm sure we all see that, that people have got sort of different differing views. Um, so we saw momentum growing in October, November, and obviously with Omicron, it soon got the got pulled. I think going forward, I think it's too early to I think come up with hybrid rules. That is how I see it. I don't think we need to try and come up with the formula. I think it's been too stop-start. It's been too uh, changing. And I think 2022, hopefully, if things settle down as they start, they're starting to look like they will, and we do have a return to normality without any more home working being being sort of guided by the government and and the waves of any more viruses and infections doesn't come and we can then start to get to a stable period. I think we'll need the year probably, six, nine, maybe, maybe even 12 months to I think settle down into seeing where people feel they're at. My hope is that in the main people want to be in the offices and we started to see a very early sign of that in November. I think our people gain such a lot from being with their teams. And I think working from home is highly efficient when we're doing what we're doing today and all working from home. I don't think it has those efficiencies if, you know, 60%, maybe more of your time, some are in and the other persons at home. I I think you lose the efficiency. So I think if you're all in, you get efficiency. And if you're all at home, you get efficiency. How's it going to work? And I think in the main, I think it'll end up working out that we will see 20, 25% more room in our offices because there's more flexibility and agility because people have got used to doing what we're doing today and working from home talking through a screen. So I think there will be a day or two where people want to be at home to take travelling out or to be able to do things efficiently at home. But I hope that three or four days of the time people are in so that the experience levels can work together and we can work for clients together and cross-sell to clients together. Um, And I think the offices... provide the right type of environment for the team culture that's so important for us so uh, i think we've got to wait and see through 2022 to really know the answer in 23. understood thanks david
0: and we'll go to steve wolf from new myth
1: lovely thank you morning um just one for me in terms of the investment you're looking at going forward you've launched obviously the debt advisory um sort of service you've obviously now built up the, the tax advisory service um are there any other parts of you know the legal services market that you think you would benefit from to further expand you know your service offerings to to clients and build that revenue yeah um i think we you know we do a very broad spread of real estate work as you've seen it's thirty seven and a half percent of revenue across many things quarry management um lots of uh, property management services work that's very repetitive very day-to-day that has surveillance i think it's obvious that we could get in earlier to that cycle and and leverage that relationship with property investors and uh, property owners but i'm talking the scale of the sort of hansons and um other large institutional investment portfolio where i think working with the surveyor team um would be would be very relevant to agree things like rents and rent reviews and valuations we've we've always had accountants doing this some of the corporate valuation with HMRC on share option schemes, et cetera, which has always been, uh, you know, we've had that for, a, a, for the last 10 years and we've built that. I think in the property and real estate world, I think having the surveyor is the equivalent of having somebody that can do the commercial um, valuation work. That would be a really neat extension and get us into the cycle earlier with clients as well, as well as doing more and stickier so Surveyor, which I think you could take that to cost management as well. They want to Surveyor type of area work, cost management and project management. We've had some very plenary looks at cost management, project management, businesses, small businesses. So I think there will be, in time, acquisitions that maybe sort of get us off the ground with, with something that that is very close to our core. I think the trick to the professional services, I prefer to call them that than non-law. I think that's quite pompous of law if we go law and non-law. I think there's law, legal, and other professional services. I think the trick there is to work from our core. So surveyor does that. I think cost management does that. Tax and accountants doing tax has done that with the corporate and inheritance tax planning that we do for private client. Um, And I think banking has done that with as it's a natural extension. So I think it's really important we don't get too carried away and that we actually work from our core and it's a, it's a small step sideways rather than a leap with a gap in it. Um, but that would, that would be uh, the sort of area. I think corporate finance to lead advisory, we do debt advisory now. I think we could expand that to lead advisory to work with clients on buying and selling and, again, their own valuations and their own strategies for, for acquiring or for exit. We, that would be another extension from debt advisory, which I think uh, we'll see how we feel about as we get debt advisory evolved over the next 12 months. That's great. Thank, Thank you me. very much.
0: And we'll go to Sam Dindall from Stiffle. morning, guys.
3: Uh, good to have results. Uh, three questions from me. Uh, firstly, how many senior hires were there in the first half and what do you expect for the full year? Because I think there were 29 new partners uh, last year. Um, second, on the, the price inflation, how much of the uh, sort of list price rise do you normally get through and does that just totally offset the inflation in wages you're seeing? And then finally, just on Steve's question, in terms of buy or build for other professional services. Do you think the focus going forward will be on primarily on the, the legal acquisitions or do you think you could do you know, for the corporate finance, do you think that would be an organic build out first just to get used to it and then acquire or sort of any thoughts around that would be great. Thanks. Yeah, so,
2: Sam, in terms of um, waste and pleasure, what? Price inflation. We we will sort of annually we'll do a uh, an increase in our rates a review of our rates to what we commercially think we, sh- we should put them at, and that always starts at the first of May. Now, some of our an awful lot of our um, fees are on fixed rates, and so that takes a while for us for those fixed rates to be amended to come through to 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 um, reflect those pay uh, those rate increases and also there's a delay and actually sort of that coming through into the system so for example if we increase our rates um first of may that will only be affecting new matters that are starting then so there'll be some existing matters which are running off and they will stay at the old rates generally for a while unless we contact each client to change it so there's always a delay in it coming through so you don't properly see those changing rates coming through probably for three months in terms of um where where we're charging for um, hours and time in terms of fixed fees that's probably taking a bit longer that's probably taking six to 12 months in terms of people getting the price right and that's what david's talked about when he's talked about what we're doing on pricing we're doing an awful lot at the moment making sure people are quoting the correct prices to reflect the rates that we're charging so we expect to get that to come through but it doesn't all come through in um, straight away it takes time for us to train the fear and give them the confidence to quote the correct prices that are reflecting those increasing rates.
1: Okay, thanks Kate. The, um, the first question is about number of hires. It's virtually identical in the two half years. I think we were just over 20 in each case for senior hires. At this time we were 22. So it's the, it's the same number. That's why we're delighted in a much more competitive environment. I admit though, we're slightly bigger. We're a bigger business over more sites too. So there's that to take into account as well. That's not like for like, but delighted in in this market that we're maintaining that momentum. And we did, we'd expect hopefully something similar going forward in those sort of senior hires that we concentrate on. We have a recruitment director that focuses all virtually all of his energy with now a, a slightly expanded team around him uh, dedicated to. Hiring partners and senior associates, we've got a really good process, I think, where we we do a good job on um, sort of following the process through. Your point, uh, your third question around expanding professional services, is it sort of dipping the toe in the water through, taking somebody and then acquisition? I think it's a sensible question. I think the the right approach often may be to just dip our toe and take on that type of professional to understand the world and we've done that actually with surveyor we uh it's we have one surveyor in the business that joined us now a a year and a half ago but has actually been quite taken up with our own business and has worked internally more than externally but it's certainly giving us a a flavor of that external world of surveyor and uh, and and it's an example of, of the question you've asked so I think we'd like to dip our toe. We'll be, We won't race with other professional services, but if we did bump into a cultural fit uh, in an organisation that was other professional services that was close to our core and the cultural fit was exceptionally strong, just as we see with law firms like Teesside, then that might be an exception to the rule I've just said. So I, I think we'd, we'd approach it to try and organically do it first and then and then get a bit more ambitious through acquisition unless we saw something that was compelling from a cultural
0: cultural perspective. Brilliant. Any thanks. And we'll go to Tom Brookhouse at Investec.
1: Hi, both. uh Just a few from my side,
3: uh, Kate. After the rate card increases that you spoke to earlier uh, in the presentation, just thinking back to when you presented last year, you suggested that your rates are about twenty percent lower versus sort of comparable top fifty peers. Just wanted to understand, sort of, post this increase, you know, are you now in line with average levels? Would you say, or is, is there sort of still more to come here? Um, and then just picking up on those 20 hires that you just spoke to, David, is that a gross or a net number? Um, if it's gross, could you possibly provide a net number? Uh, and then finally, on the low employee churn that you've mentioned on slide 16, how does that compare to historic levels? Um, you know, is it still sort of low single digit?
2: Talking about the, the sort of rates, um, Tom, in fact, I mean, we still think we've got some place to go. Effectively, it's very difficult for us to give a direct comparative. You know, everybody sits in the market and it's basically what the what the commercial business would pay if you compare us to what's sort of um the magic circle paying we're an awful lot cheaper than them if you compare us to what a high street firm is we're more expensive than them if you compare us to other top fifty firms which is the most comparable thing that we can do we still we've still got some headroom in there to do that um the biggest challenge for us is making is getting our Fearing us to be confident enough to to charge those amounts and to pay it, so we don't get fee- kickback from clients when when we're quoting for this. It, it's a, it's a cultural thing. It's bringing people along the journey with us, which you can't do all in one go. So we're sort of doing it in steps, um, as we always will do to keep ourselves competitive. But the mate, we we still feel we've got sort of some headroom there. But we, it's bringing the people along with us. It would be um, pointless us um, putting that full twenty percent to um the rates if we haven't got um that the free owners coming on quoting the correct rates um values to reflect those increases in rates so yeah there's still a bit of headroom and we're we'll, we're constantly working on the um, challenge of pricing and it's something we'll continue to do
1: i think just building on that tom it's pretty unique Will the regions in some senses because the top 50 50- are largely have a London presence, and some have an international presence as well. So, the, if you look for the scale of nights, that's solely regional. It really it hardly exists now. Um, and I can pick residential conveyancing as an area that we have grown in actually in the last two years. And we've taken a minimum fee of seven hundred and fifty pounds and made it into two thousand five hundred pounds as a minimum. And it still we think has got some room ahead of it. So we've more than trebled the minimum fee, and we've seen very little. Uh, it's about 10% volume reduction while we've more than traveled the fee. And you'd have never predicted that. And it just, I think, shows the uniqueness. We've actually carved ourselves uh, pretty much our own um, area of the segment of that residential conveyancing market away from the high street for those people that, you know, the houses are more expensive and it's the high net worth clients that we're looking for. So it's, it's, I mean, to try and answer your question around the whole business from the point of view of how it compares to anybody that we can compare to, which is challenging, I would say, say it still feels that we've got 15% headroom when we look at what the top 50 are achieving, what we're what we're charging for, very comparable. Um, if not, we think uh, on plenty of occasions that people, you know, excellent services for those clients, and yet we're still not charging what peers would charge. So there's no. I think the answer to the point though is there's no pressure at the moment from a client perspective, which I think some people feel is 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 unusual, but. I think we've we've taken an independent law firm market which we're consolidating, and we're moving it sort of up up the ladder, and I think that gives us even further opportunities annually on the first May to carry on with pricing. And on the number of partners, we don't do net numbers, we talked about this last time. I think it gets quite confusing at nights at the moment to just want net numbers and fee and numbers times fees because we've actually over this period of COVID particularly, we've changed the mix of the personnel. We've concentrated on hiring partners um, and not hiring paralegals. But then when we also do acquisitions, and if you look at the last sort of two years, how many acquisitions we've done, there is partner churn in those acquisitions, which would be, I think, quite distracting if you're doing just pure fee and account and partner account times fees. Because often the fees don't really go down when you lose partners and you churn partners. Say a managing partner's got no clients or a senior partner that's got, that isn't doing any feeling work. And you brought one out, one in, the fee revenue actually goes up. So it's not as simple as just doing headcount. So that number I've given you, Tom, is, is actually gross, that 22 number. Um, you asked the third question. I'm sorry, I can't remember it. What was your third question, Tom?
3: It was just about the um, churn level that you mentioned on slide 16. Is that okay. sort of comparable yeah. to historic levels?
1: Yeah, it is. When we look at, again, there's effectively three, three limbs of churn. You can't just say churn. There's, there's the churn that we know we have when we go into acquisitions with you know partners, managing partner, senior partner, uh, some, some of the uh, fixed share member partners. Um, we, there's a restructuring of, of that partnership group as you acquire it. So there's that churn. There's then churn of partners who retire or have perhaps not gone, not grown with this business. When you when you more than treble the revenues and you see the business go up um, in the sort of uh, ladder of quality, different clients that that presents some churn that we need to deal with. Uh, so those two are very positive churns. We would call it necessary churns. And then there's what we call regretted churn of across all the levels, partner and associates, etc. And that would be absolutely single digit. And uh, normally sort of around the middle sing- single digit, like it's always been. We've not seen any, any change there. Um, going forward, if I'm being totally honest, I think if, if we get any salary pressure, it will be at the NQ level. Um, and that's where I think we need to We'll be sort of very watchful of, of our rates and wh- what, how the churn is there at the NQ level. I think that's going to be an important area for us to focus on. I don't anticipate any change salary pressures or churn at partner level or sort of five years PQE post-qualified experience and above uh, but certainly n- newly qualified at 0 to 5 I think is an area that we'll need to just keep an eye on. Okay brilliant thank you both.
0: And we'll go to James Allen from Liberum. Good morning David, morning Kate. Um, so two questions
3: if I can. Uh, so on page 12 um, I'm just looking at the, the starting point for the lock-up Uh, for ASB Law and Keebles, which I think are some of the bigger acquisitions you've done. Uh, What were the reasons for the uh, local days being higher than some of the other acquisitions you've done to start with? And would there be any reason why those two acquisitions can't get down to say 100 days like you've managed at Monday's for example? Um, And then second question, uh, just on page 19, the 385 million Scottish market um, on on the map on that slide, I know that Scotland operates under slightly different legal bodies and legal frameworks. Um, In spite of that, are you still interested in that space despite the different legal frameworks in England and Wales? And if you did enter that market, how would that different legal framework in Scotland impact the way that office could operate? For example, would the different frameworks inhibit cross-selling to those offices based in England?
2: So in terms of the lock up, um, James, I mean, it varies significantly, as you can see, such across it, and it's, just, it's a, an awful lot to do with um, the, what focus has been on those businesses and um, how, how it's, it's been managed and the makeup of that business as well. Um, I think for both ASB and probably for Keebles, so there's possibly quite a bit of um, real estate work, and they've got historic um, agreements that it's been on completion work and sort of development work and things like that. Um, so that's why it's longer and that's why it's perhaps will take a little bit longer for us to get there. But there's no reason why we've worked with you know, businesses that have got this sort of work before. We won't get them down to, to the sort of levels that, that we want them to have in the end. It takes a little bit of time. We'll just introduce new um, ways with clients of introducing interim billing and making sure that we have set long stop dates and we'll have abortive fees um, that we'll bill as, as, a, as a long stop date if um, things have got um, have dragging on longer than we expected so it's just to do with a bit of build-up and, and how those firms what the focus has been for them for those firms in the past um, but it takes a little bit longer as you can see but I don't see there's any reason eventually why they won't come down um, to be in line with what we have because we'll bring them onto our systems and sort of managing their clients as we manage our existing clients.
1: On the um, on the Scottish point, James, it's a really good question. So the, the main difference in law in Scotland is property law and so real estate law. It's, it's quite different. Um, there are differences as well in procedure and litigation and in criminal procedure. Crimes not relevant to us, but it, just to sort of say the differences. But corporate law and contractual law are, are sort of pretty much based on uh, on, on English law too. So that the there are differences. Um, and it, it does need careful thought. This, this isn't something that I'd expect in, in the short term. We are sort of now just curious as to what's in uh, the main centres of Glasgow and Edinburgh because they feel very much like Manchester being Leeds. Um, and therefore, we'd, we'd quite like to explore. And I think we're just at exploration stage. But the, the, some of the law is different, some of it's similar. The the key difference is that it hasn't deregulated, like English and Welsh Um, England and Wales has deregulated, allowing private ownership. But that doesn't prevent any problem for us doing it. We just have to have a separate entity that's actually registered for Scottish regulation purposes that we can wholly own. So it doesn't become that complicated. It's just another entity. Um, But we would need a a Scottish regulated lawyer to be part of that entity. Um, I think the key thing would be cultural fit for me with this is that we can make it work we know it's doable they look similar markets it's interesting that it brings the breadth of geography that's scotland for i think some of our clients we know we've asked them some of our clients would like that uh, so that's interesting um we've got to now explore what going into such a different country looks like and um, if it went independent, what would that mean? So I think this is going to take us a while. It won't be something that happens in the immediate future. And we've, you can see from the map that's appeared there, with all our sort of stars there, you can see we've got sort of areas on the south that would be interesting, on the east, um, and then going up to the northeast above Teesside, um, places like Cardiff and Bristol as well. So there's, there's plenty of, of gaps in the English and Welsh market that I think we want to fill first. Thank you very much.
0: And that's the end of questions. David, do you have any closing remarks?
1: Yes. So thank you for, for all of your questions and thank you for your attendance today. Um, we very much appreciate that we've got such a, a good uh, analyst coverage. It's, uh, it's important to us and we, we enjoy working with you. Um, the, uh, um, I'll repeat how we feel about the future. I think what we've done over a decade now positions us uh, brilliantly for an exciting decade ahead. Uh, and that's certainly how I feel about it. I think we you know as this world is changing. I think we're very fit for purpose uh, as a modern business with the structure and the culture that we have, and the quality of the people, and and just what a happy ship we have with with our people and with clients. So uh, you know, we're, we're very buoyant and we're very positive now about going forward. Uh, but thank you for your attention and thank you for your analysis of us, uh, which we do appreciate. So thank you very much.